can you learn about God from a book in the Bible that never mentions Him by name? Well, that's what we're learning as we make our way through the Old Testament book of Esther on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host and fellow passenger here on the Bible Bus. So as you turn to Esther 4, I want to share some letters from our fellow listeners in Central Europe. First, we hear from Mrs. D. in Belarus. Thank you for the studies on Romans and Kings. The quality is better than I expected. It is just wonderful. Several years ago, I tried to study the books of Kings in order to understand the events in Judea and Israel, and I had a lot of problems when the names of the kings were repeated. You have made it much easier. The book of Romans is very special to me. It is my favorite book, my friend, my advisor to every situation in my life. There seems to be no question that cannot be answered in this book. I read and think, what an amazing person is the Apostle Paul. I came to Christ in 1990. I was baptized the next year. I was the happiest person on earth. However, after a while, there were times of trouble. In these days, Romans 7 and 8 came in very handy. Now, when hard times come, I usually reread chapter 8. I praise the Lord for His Word and your program. And here's a note from Valeriu, who catches the Bible bus in Romanian. I have a friend that recently turned to God when listening to these programs. He is a diabetic and has problems with his eyes. I talk to him regularly because he is new on the way of the Lord. I was discipled using through the Bible, and now my friend is discipled the same way. What a joy to know God listens to you every day. His wife helps him. She is not a Christian yet, but she is glad to see her husband having peace and joy despite his illness. His diabetes has advanced, so we do not know how much more time he has on this earth. I'm thankful to God because he answered our prayers. You must know God is using these programs in our country. Please continue. And then here's a note. This one's from Ava. She's in Hungary. We are very grateful for this daily bread, for the spiritual nourishment that comes to us through your teaching. It is wonderful that at the end of our day, the warning, encouragement, and comfort of the Lord is ours and calms our hearts. The Bible reveals never-before-heard truths. We ask the Lord for wisdom, perseverance, much strength, and His renewed grace. You are in our prayers. Please pray for us. And last, here's an email. This is from Jan in Chechia. She writes, Dear friends, sisters, and brothers in Christ, Thank you for the amazing program I've been listening to for decades. For a while, I listened to you in Germany when I was exiled. Now that I have been back in Chechia since 2006, I am a volunteer for a prison ministry. When talking with the inmates, I use so many things I have heard in this program. I visit women here in prisons and also in Germany where they have inmates from our country too. I tell them about your programs. Please pray God's word may change their decisions and their course of their lives. Many have nothing and come from backgrounds of deep hurt. Well, if you haven't joined our world prayer team already, now is the time to do it. Together, we get to pray for listeners like these all over the world and then ask God to reach his whole world with his whole word. It's a rewarding journey, I can guarantee it. We don't want you to miss out on the blessing. So find out more and sign up today at ttb.org forward slash pray. And if you are a World Prayer Team member, we'd love to hear how our time in prayer is impacting you. Do you see the world differently as a result of this journey? Is there maybe a specific story or country that just sticks in your mind? Well, tell us about it, won't you? Email us at BibleBus at ttb.org or write to us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C6B1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to join you in your work around the world through prayer. 
As we study today, open our eyes to the wonders of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's our study of Esther 4 and 5 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, we return back today to the fourth chapter of the book of Esther. And we saw last time that a decree had gone out under the signature of the king. That is, the ring that he had was given to Haman. He put that in wax, and that decree went out that the Jews were to be destroyed. Now, in that kingdom, there must have been several million. I would make a rough guess and say there were probably 15 million at that time in the Media-Persian Empire. That would have been an awful, terrible slaughter. And it was so unnecessary and uncalled for just because one man, a petty official, would not bow down to him. And he now wants to exterminate a race. This is satanic, of course. Now the decree is signed and it goes out. And there's one that believes it. And that's Mordecai. And he goes in sackcloth and ashes. And we said that there's a decree gone out from God, the soul that sinneth it shall die, and that hasn't been changed. Now will you notice in verse 3, and let me read it, And in every province, wherever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews. And they believed it, you see. They believed that decree. And fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. But do you notice? No prayer. Why? They're out of the will of God. You see, Cyrus has made a decree according to the will of God. They're to return back to their land. And they haven't returned back. They're out of the will of God. So in this state, they're not apt to pray to God. Now, Esther is the queen, and she feels perfectly safe and secure as the queen. And notice what she does. Verse 4, So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it to her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. She's embarrassed. Her stepfather's out there in sackcloth and ash and walking up and down and moaning and wailing and groaning. And she is embarrassed. So what does she do? She sent raiment to clothe Mordecai to take away his sackcloth from him. But he accepted it not. You see, she felt very secure, so she sent the raiment of the court. It was gay and gaudy, expensive and fine, bright colors. Mine must have sent him one of these big wide neckties and a coat with wide lapels. But you see, all the bright colors and new clothes will not change the king's edict. It'll not change the decree that's gone out, and it won't remove the stigma. And you know, today, there are a great many people deal with sin in many different ways. They try the gaudy clothes method. One is like the teacher we referred to last time, just to say the Bible doesn't say man is a sinner. And I don't know how you can make a statement like that, but apparently this is a teacher, and there are some teachers that make some unusual statements these days, and this happens to be one of them. Now, there's another method that's used. There are a great many that put on the gaudy clothes of reformation. They say that, after all, sin is just an error, and it's a little mistake, and we'll just try to sort of cover up, you see. 
And it's just something that we can just reform, and that method is used. Someone has said that the modern pulpit today has become a place where a mild-mannered man gets up before a group of mild-mannered people, and he urges them to be more mild-mannered. And friends, I can't think of anything more insipid than that today. No wonder the world is passed by the church. We don't need reforming. We need regeneration. We need to be born again. <laughs> this man Nicodemus was religious, but our Lord said to him, "Ye must be born again. We need a new nature because we got a sinful nature, and that sinful nature is not going to heaven, friends. You have to come to Jesus Christ. And if you go to heaven, you're going to go into heaven because you've trusted the one who died for you and took your place and's already paid the penalty of your sin. You can have it if you want it, but you'll have to accept it. Then there's another kind of gaudy clothes that people wear known as education. They say sin is selfishness. You just got to educate folk and train them. I know that when I was a little fellow growing up, I had a sister. She's younger than I was. My dad would bring home a sack of candy, gumdrops in those days, and he'd tell me I had to divide it with her. And I always took the first piece. And she protested because sometimes it came out and I took the last piece. That always gave me one more than she had. And so a rule had to be made that one time she would take it first, the next time I would take it first. And so sometimes I, you know, changed that just a little and took the first gumdrop. Well, may I say that all the instruction and all the education never kept me from being selfish, I'll tell you that. And don't try to kid me, it didn't help you either. Now, religion is another way. You know, sin is ignorance. You just must turn to God and you've got a little spark inside of you and the Spark needs fanning into flame. Many years ago, Dr. Shaler Matthews, University of Chicago, came up with this definition of sin. And think this one over for a while. Sin is the backward pull of an outworn good. My friend, if you take away all the modifiers, it's sin is good. And that's what religion finally winds up telling you. May I say to you that you need a new garment. You need the righteousness of Christ. That is the only thing today that will enable us to stand before God. So this man, Mordecai, is not even about to accept any gaudy clothes from his daughter who's on the throne, who's the queen. But when those clothes came back, she knew it was something serious. It wasn't some little minor something that had happened. Then call Esther for Hatash, one of the king's chamberlains whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to learn what it was and why it was. She wants answers to some questions. What has caused you to put on sackcloth and ash, and why are you doing it? She wants to know. And so Hathach went forth to Mordecai and to the street of the city. The queen couldn't have done that, as you would well understand. And that was Mordecai out before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasures for the Jews to destroy them. 
Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to explain it under her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. And Hathash came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And so he presents the writing. He said, take this decree in. Here it is in writing. Let her see it. And God has given us his word. And I wish that teacher that said the Bible doesn't say man is a sinner would read the Bible. Wouldn't hurt her to read the Bible. And if she did, to read the word of God, and you'll find out God tells you you're a sinner. The decree is here. It's in the word of God. Now, that word's brought to Esther. Again, verse 10, again Esther spoke unto Hathash, gave him commandment unto Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king and to the inner court, who is not called as one law of his to put him to death. In other words, no one dared come into the presence of the king without an appointment. And if you did, you'd be put to death. Now, she makes it very clear here. Except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. And if the king just sat there and didn't lift that golden scepter and someone came in like that, they'd be taken out and executed. They'd be taken out and hanged. And the king wouldn't have to even open his mouth. All he'd have to do is just not lift that scepter. And now she says... But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. I don't know what the score is. I don't know whether I should go in or not. And now Mordecai puts it on the line. Listen to him. They told him Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Listen to this now. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Don't think you are secure, Queen Esther, just because you're in the palace and you're the queen, because this decree touches you. Now, you must remember there'd been another queen, and a decree had been made to set her aside. She'd been set aside. And Esther might take warning from that, might be a lesson to her, that if she thinks the decree would protect her, she's wrong. That decree is that all Jews are to be slain. And she'll be slain. And Mordecai puts it on the line. Now he continues. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their relief and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. And I pause just a moment. What other place? I'd love to have been there and ask Mordecai, what other place, Mordecai, would deliverance come from? Would deliverance come from the north? Are the east or the south or the west? No other place. This man's the world ruler. He's a dictator. And there's not a person on top side of the earth that could deliver her and these people. Who's going to deliver these people? Well, he said, if Esther doesn't move, and she's there, I think Mordecai now detects that the hand of God's been moving. She's there for a purpose. But he says, if you don't, deliverance will come from another quarter. Where? The only other place is above. And this is the closest thing to a reference to God that you have in this book. 
deliverance will arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? Well, God by his providence. And that's obvious now. God by his providence has been moving. He's prepared for this event. God knows what's coming. And that's the reason, friends, that you and I can trust him. We're not putting our hand in one today and trusting one today that has the power to hold us. And he has that. But he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. He knows and you can trust him. Now, will you notice this? All right. Listen to Esther now. I want to say that Mordecai is becoming a noble man in my estimation. I'm sorry I said what I did about him. But at that time, he was just the kind of man I think that he was. And I said he was. But now he's revealing that he's taking a stand for God. He's willing to die for God. Now listen to Esther. And she's going up in my estimation too. Then Esther told them to return Mordecai this answer. Listen to this. These are the words of a noble woman. Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. Why doesn't she say pray? Because they're out of the will of God. Like Joan on that boat, nothing said about praying, you see. He's out of the will of God. He shouldn't be there. Hard to pray when you're out of the will of God. And so we find here that she just says fast. And I think that prayer went with it, though. But it's not mentioned. She wouldn't dare mention it. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. Now listen to her. And if I perish, I perish. She's willing now to die. (laughs) And I want to say to you that she now reveals the fact that she's a very noble person. And though out of the will of God, she's now going to be faithful. And again, I have to say it. Let you and I let God determine who's going to be faithful and who are the faithful ones. Too many of the saints today are trying to judge everybody. Now, let's move on. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Now, what's going to happen? All right, in chapter 5, and I label this chapter the scepter of grace. Will you notice it? Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, opposite the king's house, and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, opposite the entrance of the house. Now, he's out there conducting state business, and it apparently is in some sort of a plaza or some open space around the palace there. And around that is this court. I tell you, their dress, the color that's there, and the awnings, the tapestries, the gold and the silver, the beautiful marble, all of that is there on display. The king is sitting on the throne. And this girl, she's stepped now from back, probably some alcove or back of a pillar. 
she steps out there now in her royal apparel. And I want to say, friends, she was beautiful. Wish I could have seen her. She was a real beauty. And notice what happened. So it was when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. It's a good thing he held out that scepter. If it hadn't, there was a law that she'd be put to death. <laughs> but he's not going to have this beautiful queen of his put to death. So he holds out the scepter. And friends, God has held out the scepter to us today. Scepter of grace. And he just asks you to come and accept. Just put your hand out by faith and accept what he has to offer. And he doesn't do it because we're beautiful. Maybe you are, but I've already looked in the mirror. I'm not beautiful. And therefore, he's not saving us today because we're beautiful. And we're not only not beautiful on the outside, we're not even pretty on the inside. We're ugly. Out of the heart, the Lord Jesus said, proceed. And what proceeds? The ugliest brood of sins you can think of. And where does it all come from? Out of the human heart. We are hearing a great deal today about pollution and ecology. I'm for it, but I'd like to start where all the trouble begins, the human heart. There's the thing that's polluted today, and the only way in the world is to come and touch the scepter of grace that he's holding out to us, for he saves us by his grace. Now, I want you to notice what the king did here. This is a gracious, lovely thing. The king must have loved her. Listen to him. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be even given to thee to the half of the kingdom. Now, what is the king doing here? Well, just simply this. He knows that she has not come on some petty thing. She hasn't come to ask for money to buy a new hat. She hasn't come to suggest to him that they go out for dinner to the local restaurant that night. He knows it's not something like that, that there's something that's troubling and bothering his queen. And I'm sure she's trembling, because she could have been put to death there. It is a matter of life and death. And she's trembling, and he sees that. And she's very timid. So he wants to make her feel at ease. And so he hands her really a blank check that's signed and tells her to fill in the amount up to half of the kingdom. He says, you can have anything you want up to the half of the kingdom. It's yours. Just name it. What a wonderful thing that is. How gracious that is. And although she's relieved, to be sure, she's still timid. And Esther answered, If it seemed good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I prepared for him. She doesn't mention it, you see. And she hesitates. She says, Oh, would you bring Haman and come to a luncheon that I prepared? And the king knows that she's holding back the request. He says, sure, we'll come. And you go tell that fellow Haman that he's got a luncheon engagement, whether he likes it or not. But he's going to like it, by the way. But we're going to have to leave off there today. And we're leaving off at another cliffhanger place. What's going to happen now? How will this girl let it be known what's taking place? 
and what can be done to save her people. May I say that this is a very important book, as you can see, and a very dramatic book, a very exciting book. But we'll have to wait till next time, friends. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Well, that's a cliffhanger, and we'll have to wait to see what happens next time. Until then, you can join us for Dr. McGee's Sunday Sermon in Esther Chapter 2, titled The First Beauty Contest to Choose a Queen. You can listen online by app or see if your station carries a Sunday sermon, all by going to ttb.org. And if you'd like to review all that we've learned in Esther or move ahead in our study before we meet next time, visit ttb.org and download our new Bible companion for Esther. I know that you're going to enjoy the great synopsis of Dr. McGee's studies, as well as the handy links to read along in your Bible and then some really terrific reflection questions to direct your thinking. Again, the Bible companion for Esther is available now at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find it. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you right back here next time as we continue our way through the Bible. Jesus grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.